All right, almost 20 years ago, at a graduation speech at Kenyon College, an author, David Foster Wallace, said this. He said, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. His point was that humans uh, will choose to attach themselves to something greater than themselves or outside of themselves to find significance, purpose, motivation, peace, whatever in life. You know, some people find it in religion. Others uh, find it in their job, their occupation, uh, how they look, you know, uh, the reputation, success, wealth, all sorts of number of things. His main point to these college graduates was choose the thing you're going to worship. Make this an intentional choice and not something you fall into because what you worship will ultimately uh, determine who you are and whether for the better or for the worse. Uh, It's a very interesting proposition, and I'm going to assume that if you're here this morning, you've at least got some interest in allowing God to be the thing that you choose to worship. Uh, When we say, how do we worship God, though, there's many different ideas. If you have any sort of church background experience, uh, every church looks a little bit different. Every Sunday morning looks a little different. Some churches don't worship on Sunday mornings, you know? And, well, how are we supposed to worship God? Like, do we just kind of get to pick what we do? I wish the Bible were more specific in telling us how we're supposed to worship, right? Uh, We've been going through this old code to an ancient people on how they're supposed to reflect God to the world. It's the book of Deuteronomy where we're reading through God giving laws to his chosen people, the Israelites, in a bunch of different areas of their life. And today we're going to look at worship. Uh, Because I was procrastinating a little bit this week, I decided to read all of the law portion of Deuteronomy. It's 15 chapters, 12 through 26, and categorize every verse into what type of law is it? Like what subject is it about? And so I made a pie chart. And uh, here's, here's the pie chart that has the various weeks that we've already gone through uh, in Deuteronomy. Hold on, let me, let me turn this on so that it works. All right, so that's what I got. All right, so we, we've already covered justice, God's justice, God's love, God's life, his holiness, and his worship. Worship is the biggest portion. If you were to read through Deuteronomy, and I hope you did this summer when we had our reading plan, you will realize there's quite a bit that God says about how the Israelites were to worship him. Uh, the other category... Uh, Lots of different things. The main ones like administration, like the king and the prophet. There's some really interesting sections. Um, I'm figuring out how I want to present that to you, but it won't be a sermon. Don't worry. We're moving on from Deuteronomy. I've given you guys quite a bit, but there's so much more just just to let you know. We we didn't exhaust this by any means. Today, we're going to focus on worship. Um, and now, now here's, here's what some of you are thinking, right? You, you, you probably read through Deuteronomy over the summer, and you're like, Okay, like the Israelites were told to worship pretty much by like, go, go to Jerusalem and kill your animals for God. <laughs> you know, like there's, there's no way this is going to help us at all. You know, like, like yeah, if you want to learn how to worship God, we're going to have to go somewhere other than Deuteronomy. Um, as I think you have found through the rest of this series, uh, there's surprisingly consistent and applicable ways that we can see who our God is and what he desires for us in other areas and and worship. But, but yes, it really, like, that is kind of the main content. But don't worry. We'll read it together. We'll talk about it, and we'll try to understand who God is and what he's actually wanting and requiring of us as his people that are choosing to worship him. So bow your hearts with me. Let's ask that God would speak to us today uh, through his word. 
Lord, we come to you choosing to worship you, wanting to understand what it means to worship you in our lives. I pray that you would use these passages, your word, God, that's living and active, to speak to us in whatever way you've already uh, preordained today. Uh, talk to us, help us understand more about who you are and how we can worship you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we're gonna start off uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 12. This is the very first, this is the beginning of kind of the law section. Uh, I don't know if you remember all the way back, it's probably May now when I, when I introduced the book of Deuteronomy. I said this is kind of like Moses' graduation speech where they're, uh, they've been wandering in the desert. They're at the very cusp of the promised land, but before they go in, Moses is like, I just got some final words for you. You know, and so he lines it up, does some introduction, gives them the Ten Commandments, uh, tells them why they need to follow God, the importance of it, and then he says, here's what it's going to look like. The very first thing he starts with is what we're going to read today. It's chapter 12. Uh, we're just going to read the first 12 verses, um, and I'll just give you a summary of what comes after that. But here we go. I think, I think they'll have it up on the screen. Deuteronomy 12, 1 through, uh, let's do 14. These are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in this way. But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all the tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give, and your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There, in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. You are not to do as we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God has given you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the, to the Lord." And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. All right, so that's, what, that's where we'll stop for today. It continues. Uh, it gives even more instructions, uh, specifically around, uh, well, what kind of meat can you eat if you're not sacrificing it? And can, do we have to go to this special place or can we do it back at our homes? Uh, there's more about tithing and this first fruits and what belongs to God and what belongs to man. Uh, the next chapter in chapter 13 uh, talks about, well, if any of you practice idols, uh, there's a death penalty on you. You know, there's, there's this very harsh penalty if anyone even tries to get a neighbor to worship idols. Uh, you flip a few pages, there's extended sections on tithes and offerings. What will this look like? What is it going to be? Uh, kind of elaborating uh, what we just read here in chapter 12. And then the fun part, which I'm really bummed I'm not going to spend extra time on, is, is in chapter 16. It talks about the three festivals. Uh, there's the Passover, uh, there's the, the festival of weeks, and then the festival of tabernacles. 
the Passover is when you celebrate uh, God's redeeming act of creating the nation when they were slaves in Egypt and rescuing them out of Egypt. And then weeks and tabernacles are celebrations of the harvest, of what God has given them and how they've blessed. Uh, but all of these, everyone's supposed to come back to the central location, bringing a gift and celebrating what God has done very much in the spirit of what we've read here in the first 14 verses of chapter 12. All in all, when we look at, well, what does worship look like for the Israelites? One key thread, a repeated uh, over and over concept is this. The center of our worship is God alone. So, so he, he doesn't share the stage with anyone else. Uh, there, there's no uh, alternative expressions of worship. No, it's, it's God, his person himself. That will be where worship happens. So you look at how this starts. Uh, the very first thing that the Israelites are commanded to do is kind of clean house, right? So you're going to be taking over land that other people had dwelled, and they were worshiping other gods. Remove everything, whatever idols still stand, and it's going to be all over the place. You're not to do that. Uh, th there will be no other rivals. Uh, completely destroy everything that they have worshiped. These particular passages, uh, this one's more directly about worship, but the passages where we read that God is telling the Israelites to destroy other nations completely are probably some of the most uncomfortable passages to our modern ears in the entire Bible. You know, where we say like, ah, it just doesn't sound fair. You know, there, there's, there's some harsher passages in Deuteronomy 7. I, wanna, I don't think I have the individual verses, but I want to read for you guys in uh, verse, I think, 1 through 7, uh, 1 through 6. I'd read the whole thing if I don't have my notes on this one. This is what God has already said earlier uh, to the Israelites. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for, for your sons." I just want to stop right there. That is harsh, right? We say that's wrong. You can't do that, right? This is, uh, this is genocide. This is ethnocentrism. Like, like this is almost the worst kind of evil that we can even think of. And yet here God is listing it kind of casually, right? But the reason isn't because God wants to populate the entire world with just his chosen people. Uh, it's not because he thinks that the Israelites are any better than any other nation. You just read further in chapter 7. It actually says, like, you're the worst nation, <laughs> you know? Like, like, God himself isn't trying to say, we're going to clear out everyone else because they're bad and you're good. He's doing this for a specific reason. In, in verse 4, For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The reason even for the destruction of other peoples, for these most uncomfortable parts of the Bible, is that God wants only to be the center of worship. No one else. Like, like, God is choosing his particular place and his particular people. At pe people. His particular people. 
And he's saying there will be no worship of any other gods. Zero tolerance policy in this place with my people. That, that's, that's what God wants to do. And that the standard is, is the exact same for the Israelites. That there is no difference between the Israelites and all these nations that he's destroying. If you worship other gods, you will be destroyed. That's chapter 13, the very next one. It goes through different, different examples. Well, what happens if we didn't actually worship? We were just trying to, we were just exploring the possibility. Yeah, death penalty. You know, there's, there's zero tolerance policy, right? So, so the one thing, look, there's a whole other sermon to try to say, is God just, right? Like, like for God to allow eliminating whole people groups. But one thing we have, we're not, we're, that's, a different, that's a different sermon series. We're not gonna go there today. But the one thing that we have to concede is that God cares extremely passionately about being worshiped alone. Like probably more than we understand. You know, like, like, like we don't quite understand how zealous God is to be the only center of our worship. Because in our mind and the world culture that we have, it's like, well, everyone gets to pick their own God. Like some will pick God, some will pick their job, some will pick their family, you know, and, and just pick, pick a good one. It's kind of the, the advice we give to ourselves. God says, well, if you're going to choose to worship me, there's a zero tolerance policy that you get to worship something else in addition to me. It's going to be me alone at the center of your worship. That's what we see here in chapter 12. That's, that's the God that we say we choose to worship. Whether we think that's right or not, we at least have to confess that God cares probably an awful lot more than we do about the exclusivity of our worship. All right, and then you see, uh, you know, kind of another theme emerging uh, later on in this, this chapter, in chapter 12. Uh, here's, here's a verse that summarizes it in, in verse 11. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. There's this theme all throughout worship in Deuteronomy of this place, right? Uh, we know uh, from reading the rest of the Bible, it becomes Jerusalem and it becomes the temple, you know, but the temple, that's King Solomon like hundreds of years after this speech was given, after Deuteronomy was written. And I want you guys to note, you know, so this is where all the festivals come. Tithes and offerings are meant to come here. You know, we see the worship. Uh, it's very clear. Don't, don't go worshiping everywhere else. You're going to come to this one centralized location. But God does not say, make sure you go to Jerusalem. As if he has already picked the spot, like this will be my holy city. You see, um, Israel wrestled with thinking that Jerusalem itself was something special. But, but that's, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying it's the temple wherever you guys eventually build it. Like, I'll give you instructions. You'll build a place, the, the holy place, the place where the worship is supposed to be centered was not going to be on a specific building per se. He doesn't say the tabernacle. So when they're wandering in the desert, they would set up this portable tent. And that was where God dwelt with his presence. And that's where they would come to worship. He doesn't say wherever the tabernacle goes in the promised land. The way he puts it is that it will be the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. Who knows where it goes? So, so where, where, where's the center of their worship? Well, it's not a specific location, right? It's a specific person, right? God is the center of their worship, the, the person of God. It doesn't matter what box you put him in. doesn't matter what city you place him in. doesn't matter what nation you're currently living in. The center of your worship will be God. Him, his presence, where he is, that's where you will go. 
and, and there's a zero tolerance policy on going anywhere else. You can't go on, up, up on the hills, you know, or what is it, under the trees or, you know, wherever the other places were that people worship. You can't just go in your backyard. You can't worship God in your own city. You can't go worship wherever you want. I don't know if it's accountability, you know, or if it's, it's greater temptation that you'll, you know, worship these other gods. God says, no, you, you're going to worship where my presence is. You don't, you don't see any of the other reasons. You just see that where they're going to, going to go is where God himself is, where he chooses to dwell. The center of worship is not a certain practice. It's not a certain ritual. It's not even a certain priesthood. It's God's presence himself. God is the center of their worship. It's not religion. Um, today is open day for the Broncos. I didn't notice. I wasn't reading that in the Bible. I was... I was, just, I was just thinking, <laughs> yeah, well, funny, funny, it says right here that, uh, no, uh, this, is, this is an important day for Denver fans. Uh, I'm a sports fan. I like following sports. Um, I'll probably watch the game this afternoon. Um, some of you probably will as well. There's also an option. It's at home. You could go to the game. Uh, you're probably already at the game if you're, you're watching the game or you're preparing to go. Uh, I don't go see, I don't see many games in person. Um, there's some reasons for that. I mean, going, going to games in person is fun. You know, you get the stadium food, you get the whole crowd experience, you know, and the cheers. Um, and, it, and you kind of like, it, it's, it, you know, you ride the emotional highs and lows together with other people. It, it's a lot of fun. But if I'm at home, I, I mean, I got way more room. You know, like stadium seats, my legs don't fit. You know, and like I'm cramped by, by at least the start of the second quarter, right? You know, so I can sit wherever I want. I can take a nap if I want or turn the game off if I want. It's much easier getting food or going to the restroom. Like you don't have to wait in line for these things. And then it's beautiful today. I mean, it might rain this afternoon, but you know, later on in the year, it's just a climate controlled environment. It's just ah, probably a little more pleasant on the whole to watch from my couch, right? And so on the whole, well, I don't know, like nine times out of 10, I'll watch the game from my couch. And then if I, it's special opportunity, all right, fine, we'll deal with the traffic. We'll deal with the crowds. We'll deal with the price of everything. And we'll go and experience a game. Now, what happens if my son plays for the Broncos? What changes? Well, well nothing, right? All those things still apply, right? It's still way more comfortable and convenient for me to watch the game from my basement and yet, I bet you, I'm making every single game. I'm probably spending way more money than I should to go to away games. Why? Well, to be with him, his presence, my love for him, my commitment to him. It's the relationship that drives my decisions to be present in a certain place, right? Now, I'm not trying to say that we worship sports or anything like that, but man, it makes for a good analogy. Our worship should reflect having a son on the team, Right? The, our relationship with God should dictate how and where we worship. Yes, there's other things. Yes, there's preferences. Yes, there's reasons to do things a certain way or not do something a certain way. But ultimately, it's our relationship with him that should dictate, therefore, I will be here and I will worship him in his presence. That's what he's saying to the Israelites. You don't, you don't get to go wherever you want. Come here. I will be the center of your worship. All right, so this is what our worship should look like uh, kind of what general, I don't know, what are we at, 20,000 feet or, you know, whatever, you know, speakers say. Like, what, all right, go a little, bit, a little bit closer. What does this look like for us in today in our world? Uh, how does this look? Uh, for one, what did it look like for them? And then we can translate and say, well, therefore, what does it look like for us? First thing that we see in this passage, what it looked like for them to make God the center of their worship is to go smashing things, you know, destroying 
all the idols of the cultures around them, right? All right, now here's, oh man, here's another sermon, right? We could talk, what is, what's an idol and what do we do? To be very clear, if there's anything that people are worshiping other than God, praying to other than God, we have to have a zero tolerance policy for it. If we choose to worship God, we worship him alone. So if there's, you know, little totems, little idols, you know, that, that you know, come from overseas as trinkets and people are worshiping them, uh, those don't belong in our house at all. We remove them, you know, just like, just like they remove them. Um, God doesn't share a stage in our heart, in our place. If you see any of those little things at our church, just throw them away. You don't even have to ask me. You know, it's like those do not belong. We, we will be God's people choosing to worship him exclusively. Uh, now, most of us probably aren't, struggling with that. You know, our neighbors aren't inviting us to worship their gods. Uh, you've probably heard people talk more about the idols of the, the good things, the normal things in life that then become more important than God. You know, or, or you find that your, your heart's following other things than God to find identity and security and, and peace and satisfaction in life, you know, and, and, and things that you don't destroy. <laughs> you know, it's like your job, your family, you know, uh, politics, it could be your wealth, your status, your reputation, you know, all sorts of good things that we are supposed to participate in, but can easily become the most important things. Um, I think we do need to watch. Um, that's not spoken to as much here in chapter 12. Uh, what we see here is anything that's encroaching that stage of worship in our life needs to be taken action to remove them. Keep, keep them what God alone will be the center of our worship. But the thing that I think is most tempting for us to share the stage or to let onto the stage to get past our bouncers and, and be and, and share the center of worship with God is ourselves. You know, because uh, we do have preferences. Uh, you know, we, we'd like to worship, you know, and so we say, yeah, I worship God and God alone. Um, yeah, but I'll do it like this. Or this is, this is kind of the way that I worship, you know, and it's, it's like me and Jesus on the stage, the center of our worship, we're together. It's like, yeah, yeah, um, you're definitely going to worship God, but it's God alone <laughs> at the center. You know, this passage twice calls them out and says, you don't get to do whatever you want, right? You, see, you guys see that? Look, verse 8. You are not to do as we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit, right? And then in 13, be careful not to sacrifice or burn offerings anywhere you please, as if the Israelites might struggle to do things the way they'd like to do things. To, no, no, no. To, to worship God the way they want to worship God. It's not like they're worshiping other gods here. No, they, they might just start thinking, I, I, let, let me do it my way. I, I prefer this. This is more convenient. Yeah, look, if every single time you had to worship, you had to travel across the country, it, it, well, I don't know, is that inconvenient? Yeah, and you had to bring your animals? You know, it's like, yeah, there's... There's absolutely a temptation to figure something else out. In fact, the story of the Bible says they figured other things out and, and they made it feel like, oh yeah, this is okay. But time and time again, consistently, God says, no, no. You do not get to decide how to worship. I do. Because God himself alone is the center of our worship. Okay, so how do we know if we're letting ourselves get in there, right? Or if we're getting in the way, it's, it's okay to have preferences, but how can we allow this relationship with God to be the one thing that we worship? Does your worship alter your plans, right? Like, like does your worship lead you to places where you're uncomfortable? Does it lead you to places that you would not go to on your own? 
Like, are you rearranging your schedule in order to fit worship in, or is it the other way around, right? Now, look, big fingers get pointed everywhere on this, right? Because we do live in America. There are many different styles and types of churches on different days of the week, and so we can choose the thing that we want. But if our worship is never rearranging our lives, perhaps we are not worshiping God alone, right? Or we're allowing something else, probably ourselves, get into the center of worship. And then it's really difficult for us to truly worship God because we're, we've actually never left. We're just, we're just worshiping ourselves and calling it Christianity. We call ourselves beyond church because we want to live God's love beyond ourselves out into the world. We don't want to just keep it here. The first step of living beyond ourselves is true worship. Because if we're truly worshiping God, we have to get out of the way, off the stage, and say, God, you get to be the center of everything I do. Once we do that, then, then we are able to now love genuinely and with God's love other people. We can value other people more than ourselves. If we still stay on the stage and we're worshiping God, but really we're just kind of worshiping God together with him, you know, so that we can be built up, uh, we will not have genuine love for other people because we will still be calling the shots, self-serving, doing the things that we want. Uh, the call of God for his people is to worship him alone at the center. So if we want to choose to worship God, right? Let's, let's say that author at the beginning was right. We're going to worship anything. And we say, okay, I'll worship, I'll worship God. We should feel uncomfortable because God has a zero tolerance policy. I mean, the parts of the Bible that we say are the most difficult parts to swallow are because Jesus will not tolerate other worship for the place that he chooses to dwell and for his people. And so if we're voluntarily saying, I want to be one of your people, let's, let's, is our worship exclusively for God? Are we allowing ourselves to get on that stage with him? God, God has zero tolerance. That's the one thing we see and that's the one thing we can find. Let's zoom in a little closer. We still haven't said, well, what does that look like for us <laughs> at Beyond Church? Uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, we read the Old Testament and we're not, we're not, you know, getting our ticket to fly to Jerusalem with our goat and the checked luggage, you know? So, so we say, well, everything changes in the New Testament, right? You know, and, and absolutely, the sacrificial system is, is done with. It's, it's thrown away. In fact, you know, you can even see through the progression of the Old Testament that this place where God chooses to dwell isn't permanently in Jerusalem, right? Okay, well, what is it for today? We live on the other side of Jesus from the Old Testament. What is it today? How is our worship different? How does it change, Pastor Brad? Well, guess what? It doesn't change much. The, the, the important things that we see over and over that we've talked about are, are this central location and this sacrificial system. And I, I think we've changed those. <laughs> no, 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 check this out. What's the sacrificial system for? It's atonement. Our atonement is being made right before God, being cleansed, being holy, right? So this deals with the, the problem all religions have. How do, you, how do you, as a human, commune with God, the holy? And we talked about this last week, about holiness and the separation between us and other people, or from God and us, you know, the, the, the sacred things and the profane things. Sacrificial system is atonement. What's one of the key things that we have here at our church? The only, look, look, the only religious symbol in our entire building. Do you know what it is? It's that. The cross, which is absolutely central to what we do every single Sunday. Why? That's where our atonement takes place. It's not in the blood of animals. 
It's in Christ's blood. When he died for us, we all come in Jesus' name, right? There is no worship. There is no coming together. There's no church without Jesus' death on the cross. And so atonement plays a key role. Well, what about that other, the central place, you know, the, the temple? I thought we said the church isn't the building. It's the people, right? Well, yeah, it's the, it's the people. Where did God choose to dwell? Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. He's writing this to, to people that have just entered into the kingdom, just said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. He says, yeah, you're a part of it. You are a part of the church that's been built on the whole Old Testament. Christ Jesus himself is a cornerstone. He says, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Where has God chosen to dwell, to place his name? It's here. It's us. Not here building. at the... <laughs> The here in each one of us that has said, yes, I want to worship you and I want to worship you alone. Powerful stuff, right? So then what does our worship look like if we're going to hold these things as most important, that, that we really do care about our atonement and we really do care about the presence of God because God himself will be the center of what we worship. It would look an awful lot like gathering all together with the other people who have said, yes, I worship you alone in the name of Jesus Christ. These are practices that you see churches do because these are the things that remind us God alone is the center of our worship. All right, let's pray. Let's ask that God will apply this to our lives. Lord, I thank you so much for your words to the Israelites. Uh, thank you for your grace in giving them. Thank you also for the difficult words that we don't understand. And I think, uh, I admit, at least for myself, uh, that, that it feels harsh. You know, you just not tolerating there to be any sliver of worship of other gods. Um, Lord, I, I confess that we allow other gods to kind of sneak into our lives or we allow other things in our life to take on your role and look to those things to provide us with significance and we grow more further from your word or your standards. I ask that we would remember that you give us the strength that you would purify us in order that we might worship you alone. And I pray that we would find the joy that you command in chapter 12 and in chapter 16, God, where when we come to you in relationship to worship you, that's actually where we feel the most joy, the most satisfied, the most blessed, the most rest in you. I thank you, Lord. May you continue to guide each one of us, guide our church and guide your church and the entire world to have exclusive worship in you and in you alone. In your name we pray, amen. All right, before I send you guys onto your discussion groups, uh, it's a little bit of a special Sunday this morning. I don't know if you noticed balloons on your way walking in. Um, this is our kickoff for fall for all the groups that we have uh, going on through the rest of the year. Uh, we call it Go Beyond Sunday. So because these are all opportunities where you don't just show up for yourself, but rather you become a part of building up this particular church called Beyond Church. 
Uh, there's three different ways that you can uh, get connected and kind of invest in what we're doing. Uh, one is through community groups. Uh, one is through serving teams on a Sunday morning. And the other one is in a new project called All Together. Um, I invite you to do uh, one of each or, or one, uh, maybe base it on time, right? So one thing on Sunday morning where you're giving of yourself and not just coming to worship, but serving somewhere. Uh, all of our serving options are once a month, except for the worship team, which is more like twice a month. Uh, there's several different options that you can see out there. I also invite you to participate in one thing outside of a Sunday morning so we can stay connected uh, together all through the week, whether it's community groups um, or maybe it's just informally meeting with someone else. I really encourage you to not make it just Sunday mornings that we gather together, but some other time at least during the week. Um, or perhaps uh, serving at the warehouse. That'll be a, a regular time where we can come together on Friday nights. Uh, then this All Together project comes out of a desire to stay connected. Uh, we're stretching ourselves. Uh, it was hard work yesterday, <laughs> getting everything ready. Um, and we're gonna, we're gonna be stretching just in terms of serving, trying to serve our community. Um, we're probably going to feel more uh, personal burdens or emotional burdens, and I want to make sure that we stay connected together through this entire semester. And so the All Together Project is a way that we can do that. If you sign up, and everyone, everyone can sign up, it's for everyone, uh, you, have, you will be randomly assigned someone else that signed up, and then you check in with them once a week and ask to pray for them. And then someone else is assigned to you, so you'll have two touch points where people, whether it's a call, an email, a text, you get to kind of say what works best, uh, you just, hey, how's it going? How can I pray for you? And then through this, we're going to have stories of caring for each other and seeing how God has worked through uh, our relationship and through our church as we kind of stay connected together. So that's called All Together. Um, you can sign up today if you're like, I don't know yet. Um, hold on. We're going to have uh, a way that you can sign up all throughout the semester um, as a way to stay connected and build up together at Beyond Church. Um, let's do these questions. So after every sermon, I want to give you guys an opportunity to respond and interact uh, with what we've talked about, with what God's Word says. Uh, so we've got three questions for you this morning. One is, do you think it's true that all humans will worship something? Two, what things threaten to crowd out God in the center of your worship? And three, what practices or habits reinforce that God is the center of your worship? Uh, go ahead and take five minutes. Uh, the only rule is you can't discuss this just with people you came with. You have to, to turn either around tables or across rows with someone else you didn't come with. Uh, talk for five minutes, and then I'll give you guys an opportunity to sign up uh, for various uh, commitments for the fall.